This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the very best comic book podcast for regular comic fans. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two omniconscious beings who slip through the cracks at the end of the universe as we understand it, Paul Jaisley. Hello, humanoids. And our very special guest this week, the one and only Dave Baker. Yes, I'm so glad that you beautiful omnipresent beans were happy <laughs> to talk to me today. Um, Dave, you're you've been on the show before, but for maybe for the folks at home who don't know who you are, because before we get into comics, they got to know who you are. Could you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself and what you've got going on right now? Sure. My name is Dave Baker. I'm an Eisner nominated writer and illustrator. Uh, you might know me from books like Forest Hills Bootleg Society, Fuck Off Squad, Everyone is Tulip. Star Trek Voyager, Seven's Reckoning, and my new book, which is coming out from uh, Top Shelf, February 13, Mary Tyler Moorhawk. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I think everyone on the show at least knows you from pretty much every one of those titles that you said, so I'm very excited to have you back on the show, very excited to talk about comics, so let's get right into that. Let me ask the two legally mandated questions that I have, and that is, how have you been, how have comic books been, and let me kick it right back over to you, Dave. I'm good. Uh, I've been doing a lot of press for this new book, which is fun. Hell yeah. And uh, how have comics been? Uh, I think comics are good, man. I think comics are very good. I mean, you know, I think the retail space could use a little help sometimes, maybe. Sure. People seem to be a little grumpy, uh, could use some more influx of dollars. Uh, maybe go to your local comic book store, clean out your poll, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, special order something. Special, special order something that wouldn't necessarily be in your wheelhouse. Maybe just like put a little order for a book. Who could say what kind of book it is? Maybe it'd be a book named Mary Tyler Warhawk. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like a really interesting thing to try out this year in 2024. It's a whole new year. Try buying a new a new book that maybe is out of your wheelhouse. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little strange, a little left to center, a little weird. Yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. Uh, well, what what books have you been reading then? If you know, if you're you know buying things on the outside, maybe producing these weird little books that people should be you know buying. Uh, what have you been reading that's been maybe an inspiration for these types of things? Uh, I just read, I just read Sammy Harkham's collected Blood of the Virgin, which is a comic fourteen years in the making, uh, published by Pantheon. It follows a down on his luck creatively frustrated editor in the 1970s who's working in a definitely not Roger Corman schlocky movie production company and he gets a chance to direct his first feature film which is called Blood of the Virgin and the book is a kind of treatise uh, about what it takes to be a creator how you have to what what levels of compromise are you willing to make Um, it's also a walk through historic Los Angeles and um, lovingly illustrated, lavishly drawn, photo-referenced uh, locations around the greater L.A. and the Valley. Um, and uh, there's a lot of nods and kind of Easter eggs for film history fans. Uh, the main character, the editor, uh, is uh, a loose amalgam of Sammy Harkham and director Peter Bogdanovich's life. So it's like Sammy Harkham's personality and some of his biography grafted onto Peter Bogdanovich and okay. the things that Peter Bogdanovich did in the 70s. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it, it, the book, is, I can't say enough about the book. I think it's a, a masterpiece. I read it maybe like uh, a couple weeks ago and it, it just blew my mind. And I was, I, I, I knew that it was being produced because it was serialized in Sammy Harkham's one man anthology, Crickets. Uh, and it's always been one of those books where I'm like, oh, I'll read that someday. And then it just got, collected and published by um pantheon and i was like all right fine i'll do this 
I'll, I'll check it out. I'm sure I'll like this. And like within yeah. like five pages, I was like, oh my God, this is like <laughs> my favorite thing. This is amazing. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, sounds great. I, I'd never heard of this, but I, I love the cover right away. So like you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're selling me really hard. This is the worst thing about this podcast. I say this like every week. <laughs> I, everyone comes to this show with amazing comics and I'm like, I'm trying to, to budget my comic spending. And yet you guys keep throwing me these amazing comics every single week, but this mm-hmm. sounds super cool. This sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Paul, what about you? Let's, let's bounce over to you. How have you been? How have comic books been? Well, well, Mike, uh, I'm here in West Michigan, and I'm sure everyone wants to know what the West Michigan weather watch is like this day. Uh, it is 45 mm-hmm. degrees, which doesn't sound uh, great, but for uh, early February in West Michigan, that's beautiful. And the sun is shining. As soon as we're done recording, I'm going to have to try to get outside and soak up some of this vitamin D that I've been lacking severely for the past few months. So um, Nice, nice. You know, but part of that means I get to stay home when it's not so nice out and read comics. I read a few things this weekend I want to talk about, one of which has been sitting on my shelf for uh, a few months. I bought it last summer, and I figured I should probably get around to reading it since it's written by our guest, Dave Baker, and that's Night Hunters Ooh. by Dave Baker with art by Alexis Zirift. Um, this is a fantastic book. I, again, it's like been sitting on my shelf. I was like, well, I have to read it so I can talk to Dave about it. And it's basically a sort of dystopian sci-fi uh, cyberpunk kind of story set in Venezuela, hundred years in the future, and it's this. Uh, it gave me a lot of strong 2000 AD Judge Dread vibes because it's like that world where you can either be a criminal or a cop. That's what your two choices in life, and really the only people that survive day to day are the people that join the police. And um, heavy political commentary, good mix of action. Uh, it's exactly the kind of story I like. And what I really enjoyed about it, as much as that story, is like. Zero's artwork captures that perfectly. It feels gritty and violent and dangerous, kind of like a um, like a renegade underground comic, you know, in a way that kind of feels your parent. You don't want your parents finding you reading it, and those are the best comics, you know. Sure. Even yeah. though, even if you're forty-one <laughs> yeah. years old, like, why can't I let my mom know I'm reading this? So it's, it's violent and gritty, and the use of color is amazing because you're set in this world that's so like gritty and grimy everything's really black and dark and all the colors are almost like monochromatic so everything's being lit by feels like everything's lit by ambient uh light from like screens and it gives it that sort of yeah. lived in gritty world um feeling i know dave like in the the backup that you wrote for the book you even name check john wagner and pat mills and that comes through really strongly so i'm a huge 2000 fan i'm a huge judge red fan and this is right in my wheelhouse i really really enjoyed it Thank you very much. Yeah, I also love uh, Wagner and Mills and Iscara and Boland and, you know, a lot of those uh, Mike McMahon, uh, a lot of the, yeah, yeah. the 80s era Judge Dredd people I, I'm obsessed with. Uh, I I recently read um, Be Bold, Be Vigilant, Behave, the Pat Mills autobiography about yeah. like the creation of um, 2080 and and uh he's a fascinating person to me the thing i the thing i like so much about pat mills and i think the thing that influenced the book a lot is that like i like i like the way pat mills approaches things i don't always actually love the way he writes sometimes i love it mm-hmm. and sometimes i'm like i see what you're doing but it's like just just it's like a weird middle ground where it's not dumb enough to be like oh man it's so charming cuz it's dumb but it's too dumb to be highbrow, which mm-hmm. is this weird kind of like stopping and starting sometimes with me. Yeah, um, case in point, like I love uh, Vec- uh, Requiem Vampire Night. Have you read? Have you read that, Paul? No, I don't know that one. No. Highly recommended. Okay, it's a French 
graphic novel series that he did um, with this guy named Olivier Ledroit. Uh, and the book is about a, I'm not going to use the technical term because it'll get us banned on certain platforms where this might end up, but a <laughs> person from Germany who has views that I vehemently disagree with during the 1940s who dies and then wakes up in hell and discovers that there's a, a war in the afterlife happening between various sects of demons to basically like mount the apocalypse. Okay. And he becomes a knight or like a soldier in the devil's army. And all of the demons in this world, like in this afterlife are all vampires ostensibly. And it is kind of the equivalent of like the comic book version of butt rock. Like I yes. love okay. it. Yes. Yeah. It's just like all the time. And like like he draws each panel individually and then digitally composes everything. So it's all painted, but each panel is drawn like this big. So it's super duper dense artwork. Amazing. Um huh. Yeah, it's really cool. And like that book to me is the perfect amount of it's kind of stupid. Like, why are zombies and ghouls and vampires in hell? I don't know. Because <laughs> why not? it's commercial, why not? I guess. And they're trying yeah. to get people in the seats. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like, it's philosophical. It's about kind mm -hmm. of, are, can you come back from being someone who's made mistakes? You know, is it, is it, um, is the human soul something that can be permanently broken or can it be mended? And uh, just lots of fun, <laughs> you know, Millsian commentary in the book as well. Um, and also just like, you know, silly, goofy things like a giant pirate ship, you know, run by vampire pirates, like <laughs> dropping bombs over like Victorian <laughs> London and stuff. Like, it's cool. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Amazing. No, I think one thing that also stood out about Night Hunters I liked was, you know, on top of the sort of vibe that I like about that cyberpunk world, there is a strong sort of emotional story as well. You have these two brothers that end up on either side of the law, like one becomes a criminal, one becomes a cop and like they cross paths and like it's it's not subtle. And I don't think a book like this should be subtle if you're making a point and like making political commentary, mm -hmm. but it makes it engaging in a way that I don't think it would have been or it needed to be to get me to, you know, to really engage with the book. Yeah. You know, um, I think, again, like I love the sort of lack of subtlety. Again, speaking of Pat Mills, I adore Nemesis, the warlock, because of that. There is no subtlety oh, in the yeah. book. And oh, that is just balls no to subtlety. the wall, the most metal comic imaginable. And it's better because of that. If he tried to be subtle with it, it would yeah. not work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The the lack of subtlety actually, I think, you know, Alexis and I are big genre film hounds, you know, underground mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, and we talked a lot about Albert Pune. Like we were like, we're going to make, what if Albert Pune made a bootleg 2000 AD movie? So like our thing yes. was, what you know, it wasn't going to have, it wasn't going to have any subtlety. It was going to have the, the lack of subtlety from Pat Mills, but it also mm -hmm. was going to have this kind of like strange, aggressive, we're going to make it happen. It might not be good, but we're going to make it happen <laughs> approach that Albert Pune's movies have. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it was really jarring to put that book out because to me, it wasn't subtle like at all. And it was like this unthinkable thing, you know, like mm -hmm. what is the furthest thing that we can do to make fun of the situation that we're in now? And then it came out in 2020 and or 2019, 2020, 2020, I think. And mm -hmm. Uh, it was when there was all like Black Lives Matter uh, riots across the country and um, well, protests, protests. I want to be yeah. clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like there were so many like 
just constant news footage of just like Gestapoed, you know, jackbooted police officers marching through the streets. Like, yeah, it's it was terrifying. And it, it really felt like, oh, my God, this is so much worse than the joke that I was making about how we're being oppressed, like fully. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was it was a little jarring. And I think the single issues reflect that, too. Like if you read the single issues in the back of all of them, they're like these essays from me that just get like so just increasingly more depressed and freaked out over the course <laughs> yeah. of the run. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, you can't you couldn't you couldn't have predicted something like that to come out, you know, like as you're like, I have this idea because right. I'm starting to see things. And then it like actually comes to fruition like. <laughs> unbelievable i feel like there was a lot of a lot of fiction that was coming out around that time that like suddenly had to go oh shit what did we actually write did did we like will this into existence you know right Um, this is terrifying i I can't imagine you know to to be doing something like that so hopefully you're okay (laughs) Uh, we're still out here man we're still out here fighting the good fight yeah exactly um well let me talk about a book that uh i read recently um I read this book called Apocalypse 4, Part 1. This is by Claire Connolly, who does like a lot of independent comics. Um, The story of this book is like in the far flung future of 20XX, Earth has been mostly destroyed by natural disasters and war. Now gods and monsters look to save what's left of Earth and either create it anew or destroy the planet once for all. Uh, The Apocalypse 4, though, are here on Earth to save it uh, from the wackos using their supernatural, super powered, super cosmic powers. Um, This is like the most bonkers book like from the get-go like page one is just explosions in dark ink and like the earth is this wasteland and everybody's got some sort of superpower of some kind it's it's incredible from start to finish um i've been reading claire's comics since like 2015 like a long while back on the show longtime listeners may remember a book called black eyes still one of my favorite like silent ish comics um that you can read it's all done in black and white it's absolutely phenomenal um claire did a tattoo for me recently like she, she's now also is a tattoo artist um so i when i went and saw her uh i was talking to her about just comics in general because she's a huge comic nerd and uh, she was like oh here here's this is my latest comic which is this giant like 11 by 17 comic folded in half so like it's the size of a magazine um it's like 28 pages long uh and i think you can get it if you reach out to her claire connelly comics.com i'll put a link to this in the show notes but like this book rules it's like clearly inspired by her deep deep love of like super sentai and uh like kaiju monsters and just like godzilla and things of that nature so the whole book is about these apocalypse four who are these people with like super powers of various degrees of cosmic powers and super sentai powers and rage powers and just like omniscient powers you know like all the things that you would think in a superhero comic or manga just kind of jammed into one thing fighting against these brain lizard monsters that have created these seven evil doom fiends that get sent down from earth to earth from the moon um it fucking rules like from the get-go this book is just like balls to the wall action and it doesn't stop until the very end and it's 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 wonderful because it's not like a super serious gritty book there's like tons of little one panel gags that i super love um and it's 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 very chaotic some of the pages are like so so much of a, a mess of action that you kind of have to like triple take as to like what's actually happening but in the end you're left with this like 
stupid fun comic and i i just love this kind of shit like this is exactly what makes me love some of the stuff in 2000 ad and i'm so glad mm -hmm. that people are publishing like independent zine style comics that are exactly this and i cannot wait for the next one like i'm so so hyped for this it's like a four-part book um and I, I don't know where you can buy this like i said but if you get a hold of claire i'm sure she will be happy to mail one to you if you're willing to pay you know shipping so um highly recommend this, this is apocalypse four part one it's so cool i cannot i cannot express how fucking cool look i mean dave and paul are here on the phone i'm gonna just like show you like the, the book is just full of like pages like this where there's just like non-stop insanity happening on every single page so looks great love this to death um dude i gotta get anyways. that that looks rad yeah yeah, yeah it's, so, it's so fun it's so fun um but let's let's bounce back over to you dave um what else have you been reading on on top of this this wonderful weird comic that you had before <laughs> The 50-Year Mission, Part 2, The Next 25 Years, The Oral History of Star Trek. Oh, God. Wait, yeah. That's not a comic, Dave. Not a comic. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I know. It's true. It's true. It's not a comic, but it is what it is. This is what I've been Hell reading. Yeah. This is what I've been reading. It's by Mark A. Altman and Edward Gross, and it is a an oral history of the second 25 years in the long-storied uh, franchise that is Star Trek. I'm a huge Trek person. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that's so interesting about this book is that some of the people in this book are at that point in life where they are still alive, but they give zero fucks. So there are some, <laughs> Great. There are some stories in here that are fantastic. That like, is why this book is like six inches thick, right? Because it's, oh, it's just yeah. unhinged interviews. And this is the second part. So that, right. I've already read the first 25 years, and it's the exact same size. Hell yeah. But this is the second 25 years. Wow. Um, there's many stories about what a misogynist uh, and uh, racist Gene Roddenberry was, which I will spare the listeners. But man, that guy said some oh. crazy stuff in the writer's room. Okay. Um, there's also some really great stories uh, by Ron Moore about the making of Star Trek Generations, which is one of my least favorite movies. But when you learn what they were dealing with, it's understandable why it's one of my least favorite movies. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, highly recommended if you're into, uh, you know, boldly going uh, Final Frontiers and or uh, maybe just, uh, you know, uh, beaming up. You know, if you're into any of those things, this is a, this would be the book for you. Okay. Yeah. Out of context, that's either a sex move or it's something about Star Trek. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who can say? Who can say, Mike? Who can, Who can say? say? <laughs> no, that's cool. So, okay. So uh, clearly you're a big Star Trek fan. So what was it like to actually sit down and like put pen to paper for a Star Trek comic? Right. Oh, it was great. It was super fun. I, um, I was a little worried going in because... Uh, I thought that, you know, I, I, I know stories about CBS and sometimes they're not, they have specific ideas of what they want the books to be. And sure. um, my experience was not that. My experience was very positive. They really had almost no notes. Um, and the, the only real note they had was like, they wanted me to change the word insurrector, which I was like, I feel like it's Star Trek. We can just make up a word. And they're like, no, 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 it's not a word. And I was like, how do we know it's not a word in this alien okay. culture? And they're like, no, 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 it's not a word. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fight this. Like, if this is the only thing you guys are worried about, sure. Insurrector right, right, right. doesn't need to exist here. But gotcha. yeah, yeah, it was really great. My my story um, is a Voyager book. It takes place uh, in the middle of the fourth season of the of the show. 
And, uh, you know, I, I treated it like I was doing like a weird like war documentary where I was like, I could tell you which episodes it takes place in between. Uh, there's there's a guys. I know you're not that hardcore Star Trek, but there's a big thing, <laughs> big scene, thing that happens in season four where Janeway gets her hair cut and they've never acknowledged <laughs> it in canon. Why or what, what? You know, what was the lot? Why did she get her hair cut? Uh, and so huh. I, I added a whole scene where her and Tuvok are talking about her new haircut, you know, cause I was like, this has always bugged me. It's always bugged me. They never like mentioned the fact that cut her hair. This and, is like, uh, this is yeah. the most Star Trek thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Dave, I Amazing. love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always something I was like, I, I, and also part of the reason I did that is because, so my book, you know, they, the, the editorial edict was like, we want you to pitch something that has to do with seven of nine. And so I pitched something and, you know, Seven of Nine is the protagonist and it's it's very much in line with like the outcast or um, Sim. If other people that are not you two are familiar with Star Trek episodes sure. where there's a member of our crew that goes onto an alien ship and has an experience with the alien culture and like befriends one of those aliens. And we learn the flaws in their society and it mm -hmm. reflects the flaws in our society. And we all have to try and grow and evolve as uh, as beings. Right. Sure. Acknowledge our flaws and move forward through them, right? And um, that's a trope. That's one of those, you know, it's it's an inner light or I should stop. There's no, there's I, various <laughs> tropes. There's buckets. I'm following you. I'm following you on a lot of this. I know a lot of the tropes of Star Trek. I just don't know the like finer details of Star Trek. Yeah. How about that? How about that? <laughs> so yeah. there's, very, there's various buckets where they've in previous, you know, generations, no pun intended, there's been episodes that have been very successful. And then though that form, the format of that episode has been mimicked in other uh, series. Gotcha. Case in point, <laughs> the original series, Naked Time, where a virus gets on the ship and drives everybody crazy and they mm -hmm. act kind of drunk and out of character versus the TNG episode, The Naked Now, which a mm -hmm. virus gets on the ship and everybody <laughs> acts drunk and kind of out of character. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to do that, right? I was I was going to do a Seven of Nine story where she goes on this alien ship and like, you know, they have the Star Trek thing where we all have to grow. The only problem being my favorite character is Tuvok. So I was like, I'm going to I'm going to work Tuvok into this goddamn thing somehow. <laughs> and so the like opening of the thing is him and and Janeway walking in a little like beat before a major scene, mm -hmm. uh, walking down the, the, the hallways of the Voyager. And he's like, I noticed that you have. Uh, got a haircut, Captain. And she's like, yes, I, uh, the wall wasn't working for me. I don't know. I don't know how it would I don't know. I, I'm not sure. It's short. It's too short. I don't know. And he's like, no, the parabolic curves complement the cheekbones of your face. <laughs> so, you know, I, that's that's all I that's all I wanted. You got your moment in, in the comic. That's that's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I don't even know where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Paul, let me let me jump back over to you. Sure. What else have you been reading? Uh, I read this like um, obscure little indie book called Action Comics. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's mm. I read it's the one thousandth and sixty first issue of Action Comics, uh, written by wow. Jason Aaron um, and art by John Timms, colors by Rex Locust, and letters by Dave Sharp. It's a Superman story. You know, I'm being coy. It's a Superman comic. Um, <laughs> I love the tradition where every time a big writer leaves Marvel to go to DC, they get the keys to Superman. Like Kirby did it. John Byrne did it. Brian Michael Bendis did it. Now Jason Aaron yeah. gets to do it. Um, and uh, I think Jason Aaron is a writer that is a good fit for Superman. He loves telling big over-the-top stories. And this is a big action-centric, ridiculous Superman story that involves Bizarro. So, you know, I, I'm always curious enough about Superman to dive in every now and again. I don't read it regularly, but... 
I figured Jason Aaron's a writer who I think is a good fit, like I said, and I love the character Bizarro, so I figured I'd give the shot. And it's really fun. Um, the main plot is that Bizarro's homeworld, Bizarro world, has disappeared. And he blames Superman personally because of all the crises that are happening in the multiverse are all the fault of the superheroes of Earth. So he's going to get revenge for his planet disappearing. Um, and his plan, I guess, involved him invading a world of sorcerers, basically a whole world of wizards. And they attack Bizarro, but he absorbs their magic and uses that to fight Superman because, of course, Superman <laughs> is, you know, uh, his weakness is magic. That's one of his weaknesses. Like, he can't defend against magic. Sure. So there's a whole sequence where like Bizarro is just punching Superman literally across the solar system. Like he punches him so hard. Superman ends up on Venus and he punches him again. He goes past Saturn. And it's like, that's the kind of dumb shit I want from a Superman comic. You know what I mean? Again, no subtlety, just big fisticuffs flying throughout their space. Uh, Bizarro is the perfect character for that type of story. So I think, again, Jason Aaron is the right writer to do that. I'm, I'm invested enough in the story now and maybe keep following it. And I've never, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever read anything that John Timms illustrated. And he's a really good Superman artist. He kind of has a less exaggerated Ed McGuinness vibe, if that makes sense. Remember when Ed McGuinness drew Superman, it's like kind of like a little cartoony, but really big and like over the top. Yeah. And like Timms gets there. It's not as exaggerated, but it has that vibe. It's a really good fit for this type of story. So... The big cliffhanger at the end of the story is that Bizarro seems to have been defeated. He kind of like disappears, but he cast a spell before he disappeared, which is apparently turning the citizens of Metropolis into Bizarros. So got to pick okay. up the next issue to see what happens with that. So it's great. Does it does it end with Bizarro like looking out over the city and he goes, they am all number ones now. <laughs> that would have been a perfect ending. Well, maybe they'll save that for the oh. final conclusion of the story. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll get Jason Aaron on the call and just yeah. say like, hey, man, you got to fix that first issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they'll fix it in the trade, maybe. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. That's that sounds like a lot of fun. Danny yeah. in the chat is saying it's only a three issue commitment to this storyline. Okay. So um, I might even check this out. Who knows? Um, but uh, let me let me talk about one, one more book really quick before we get into the top of our pile. And that is the by peow fanzine there's a little fanzine that is available for free right now on itch if you want to go read this if you're a big fan of peow publishers or the, the studios that they did they did a bunch of books like a frog in the fall stages of rot uh the peow books maybe there's a bunch of other stuff x mag which is a really cool anthology um series that they did um they've done a bunch of stuff and this little fanzine is just put together it's like 28 pages of people just writing their goodbye letters to peow um it's very very sweet uh i happen to know like four of the people in there so i felt really cool because i did not expect them to actually be in the zine um so that's really fun um but yeah it's it's clearly uh a fanzine because of how many people love this book like or it's all about how much people love this uh publisher um like peow has put out some incredible books i've talked about a bunch on the show here i think dave and i were talking before we um uh started recording about how like we both love this publisher and it's like why did it end and are they ever going to come back if they're still online but they're not um so i don't know this is kind of just like a good like closing the book who knows what's going to happen um in the future but i really like this it's very sweet there's a lot of like insider bullshit, I think, in this fanzine, but it's clearly like a bunch of friends who worked around and knew some of the people of POW kind of just saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Goodbye. Um, so if you're into that kind of stuff, it's available for free on itch. Otherwise, um, 
that's that's all I can say about it. I don't know. Uh, I'm just glad that I know someone who knows someone because my friends are in this thing and they know the people who made Piao. And that makes me feel like uh, two degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, it's two, two degrees of Petra Karate. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's let's move on. Let's talk about books that are uh, coming out, books that are on the top of our pile, that whether they're new or old or something you're just trying to get off of your shelf to finally read, which is what I'm doing this week. Um, let's talk about those kinds of books. I want to shout out the folks that are hanging out with us live here on Discord today. There's a link to our Discord in the show notes if you want to come hang out with us. Uh, they're reading some books, and Hugh is reading Lunar New Year Love Story by Jean Liu and Wang. Um, and Brian's going to be reading Starfinder Angels of the Drift number five. Danny's reading Thundercats number one. God, another another one. Uh, and Paul G is reading Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons. Um, those are also like great books. And I can't believe that there's a Thundercats comic coming out in our year, in the year 2024. And if I looked it up correctly, uh, Declan Shelby is writing this book of all people. So, yeah. Wild. Um, so I'm sure it'll be good. He's a fantastic writer, but also. Do we need a Thundercats comic book? I don't really know. Um, but I, I let me let me kick things over to, to Dave. What is on the top of your pile before I just start ranting about IPs that I know nothing about? Look, man, uh, I, lo- I love Thundercats. I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, huge fan. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm not even joking. Like, I genuinely love the Thundercats. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the thing I'm going to be reading this week is a book called The Drifting Classroom. It's a manga by Kazuo Umez. And, um, frankly, I don't even know that much about it. I just know that it's a classic and I picked it up and I was like, this looks cool. Um, spooky, you know, kind of, uh, manga horror, horror manga vibes. And I know that Junji Ito was obsessed with this book specifically, which is literally the only reason I picked it up. I mean, I, I'm okay. aware that it is like a seminal manga, but I'm also mm. aware that this is like his Rosetta stone of like the thing that he was really obsessed with as a, as a younger okay. cartoonist. Um, and uh, it's also very thick. Apparently, I only read like <laughs> giant tomes. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I can use. I, I can use a floppy comic here now and then. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we all go through that in like phases. Where every once in a while we go from like I just want to read single issues to like I'm going to only read books that are 600 plus pages, and that's the only thing I want to buy. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I, I I just looked this up. Uh, this book was published in 1972. From 1972 to 1974. So that's. Mm-hmm. That's bonkers. I I guess like like you said, inspired uh, Jinji Ito or whatever. But uh, yeah, I like the, the 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 plot summary that they give this on Wikipedia is very funny. It's like <laughs> a kid gets in an argument with his mom, a burglar breaks into the school that he goes to to steal money, a tremor shakes the school, and everyone gets transported to another world. Like what the <laughs> fuck? Great, yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> let's just get right into. It. I love that. That's amazing. Well, let us know. Um, I don't know if I could afford to buy another book this large and put it on my shelf so dave let me know if this book is any good when you finish it i, I would appreciate I will. that i will uh well for me this week i am pulling a book off of my shelf that it's been sitting on my shelf for a really long time that is last comic book on the left volume one this is by the folks who make the last co- last podcast on the left podcast um so this this comic is like an anthology similar to like a 2000 ad which is really cool um featuring contributions from marcus parks henry zabrowski with john mccrea elliot rahal and ian mcgrinty bob fingerman rick veith tyler boss noah van skyver ryan katie morgan beam james tinney in the fourth or tiny and i should say uh logan fairber and fan comic so it's a bunch of books or a bunch of little stories that are taking a mix of horror and comedy and kind of just smashing together into little comic stories. I'm really excited to read this. Uh, it's Like I said, it's been sitting on my shelf for a really long time because I bought it and just was like, yeah, I'll get to it one day. And it's just 
on the other bookshelf and I just have yet to pick it up. And now I have three volumes of this because I just keep buying them and not reading them. But regardless, I'm, I'm excited to read this because I know these guys can put together a good comic. Um, uh, specifically, Marcus Parks and Henry Zabowski have put together a couple other books. Um, Operation Sunshine is their current ongoing series that they have over at Dark Horse. Uh, it's a weird alternate take on vampires which is kind of fun um but yeah like with james tinian you know like tyler boss noah Skyver, a bunch of names that you've definitely heard us talk about here on the show before all participating in this book I, this is going to be a bunch of really cool comics so i'm excited to get that um my guess is that it's going to feel like a mad magazine style comic um less than a, a 2000 ad comic but we'll see i'll let you all know next week after i read it but i'm, I'm excited nonetheless so, Paul, what about you? What's on the top of your pile? Well, top of my pile, and I'm cheating a bit because I've I've already read it. Um, it's <gasps> 2000 AD, Prague 2368. We got an advanced copy of this. Again, thank you, Tharg the Mighty, for giving us previews of 2000 AD. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, I'm really enjoying getting back into 2000 AD. It's been a few years since I was reading it regularly, but I wanted to jump on for this current Judge Dredd story, which is A Better World. This is part five in this, this uh, Prague written by Rob Williams and Arthur Wyatt, art by uh, Henry Flint. And this is, of course, a story where they set up a pilot program in, in Mega City One where one sector, they're divesting funds from the judges and putting it into education and social services. And much to the Justice Department's chagrin, it actually works and reduces crime. But there are forces within <laughs> the Justice Department and the conservative parts of Mega City One, they're trying to undermine it. So it's a really interesting story. I love Robin Williams. I'm, Rob Williams writing Judge Dredd. Henry Flint's a great Dredd, Dredd artist as well, and this feels like a like a classic Dredd story unfolding, you know, right now. Um, it's great, and this is a very action forward chapter. The previous chapter has been more sort of political commentary, and this is a lot of Judge Dredd shooting people. So yeah, if you you need both, if you're doing a Judge Dredd story, you know. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, the other two uh, stories in here that I really like one is an English astronaut by Paul Cornell, art by Laura Helsby. Um, that's like a like a fun little time travel story about a soldier in 1955, I think sent to our time to investigate a time anomaly. And it turns out he might be the, what's causing the anomaly by doing that time traveling. So that's sort of classic, you know, science fiction uh, time travel trope. Um, but the story I really like in this, uh, and as well as the judge Dredd story is Thistlebone, the Delhi tree. This is part five in this issue. Uh, TC Elgington is the writer. Simon Davis is the artist. And this is kind of like a, paranormal investigation story centered around a film production um 1970s someone's filming a, a film in england that's about the witch trials and all these bizarre things are happening around the filming it has a very heavy folk horror vibe if you like like the wicker man or midsummer it's got that approach to it and the artwork Hell is yeah. beautiful it's this painterly artwork that's horrific and beautiful at the same time i'm really enjoying it so um, I know it's tough to read 2008 week to week, but if down the road when they collect this dread story and this thistlebone story, I think they'd be worth picking up. Yeah, man, this I, I I'm so excited to hear that like you and Danny, who's on the show, like diving into like Judge Dredd and all this 2008 stuff, because I feel like every time somebody ends up recommending me something from 2008, it's always awesome. So like the fact that we can actually get the little <laughs> chapters uh, is much, much more approachable, I think, than like the huge tomes of like, here's 5000 dread comics compressed into this one, you know, <laughs> digital PDF that we're going to yeah. give you. Um, I think this is way more approachable, um, especially uh, just because it's it's like, what is it, eight pages at a time. Like, I don't know. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's great. Like I said, a few years ago, I tried to read 2018, like that thing where it's like you have to stay up in it week to week. But, you know, it's easy to backlog them, especially when you get them sure. the PDF like that. So and it's a fun way to read comics. I like the force, the the way they force the writers to write very concisely. Again, you got eight mm -hmm. pages to make your point. That's it. 
You don't get 22 yeah. and it's like, it makes for comics that are much easier to binge in a way. Totally. See, now this is this is your gateway drug into actually reading <laughs> chapters from the Shonen Jump uh, app. So, Paul, eventually okay. we're going to get you to spend those $2 a month so you can access 15,000 plus digital chapters of <laughs> Naruto and One Piece and <laughs> Bleach and My Hero Academia. Yeah. This is the Paulie's Poly, manga year. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Dave about this little weird comic book that he's been working on called uh, Mary Tyler Moorhawk. <laughs> I'm not insulting, <laughs> I promise. It is weird, but in like the best of ways. So we're going to talk all about that. We'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, we are talking to our good pal Dave Baker today about this book called Mary Tyler Moorhawk, uh, a book that on the surface is bright pink and really, really cool. And Dave's holding up a copy of it that has a, a beautiful gold embossed that says Moorhawk on it um, using a logo that you think is really cool. And then you read the book and you realize it's very cool because there's a lot of things that go into this comic. So before I start to try to sum things up and what I think this book is about, uh, Dave, I'm going to send things back over to you. And could you tell us a little bit about this book? Maybe what's, what's the pitch you give people and how, what, what can folks expect if they pick up a copy of Mary Tyler Moore Hawk on February 13th? Uh, so thank you, Mike. That was very nice. The <laughs> quick, the quick p- pitch that I usually say is it's Johnny quest meets infinite jest. Um, the longer pitch is it's the two it's a it's a book that's split into two halves one half is a comic book the other half is a prose novel um the comic book half is a action adventure story that stars a johnny quest nancy drew hardy boys style archetype uh named mary tyler moorhawk and her extended family of super scientists as they're attempting to stop a villain from their past from destroying the world in a kind of globetrotting, you know, uh, Bondian, we got to pull out all the stops style uh, retrofuturist story. Mm-hmm. The prose sections are told uh, through excerpts of a fanzine 100 years in the future called Physicalist Today. Um, and you're reading excerpts of um, these essays written by a journalist named Dave Baker, who's obsessed with a TV show called Mary Tyler Moorhawk that only lasted nine episodes and then was canceled. In this future, physical objects have been outlawed. And because of that, movies, TV, all of our kind of like collective shared monoculture has more or less evaporated with the notable exception of a small group of underground collectors called physicalists who go to weird basement shows and sell old you know, VHS tapes to each other and try and restore VHS tapes players because nothing works anymore because it's 100 mm-hmm. years in the future. Mm-hmm. And over the course of this obsession that... Uh, the journalist Dave Baker has with this old TV show. He's like, I'm going to figure out why this show got canceled after nine episodes. Oh my gosh, it's actually adapted from some comics. Oh my gosh, the guy who made the comics and created the TV show is named Dave Baker. And so that (laughs) sends him off in a strange existential uh, mystery where he's trying to unlock uh, why this person uh, was let go from the show are they related? Are they not related? Is it just a weird metatextual con- coincidence that they have the same name? And um, yeah, things get weird. Yeah, I and I said weird because I read I read a bit of it. This book, I think the first three chapters of it, and uh, it gets it gets a little weird. I think a little existential, <laughs> a little like the mm-hmm. opening prologue that you deliver in this book uh, sets up 
everything in such a way where I went, is Dave okay? (laughs) (laughs) And like, I think that that's like, that's like the perfect way to kind of go into this to be like, you know, obviously we're talking to you. You're very cool, very sane, very normal guy. Um, going into this book, you definitely set up the the premise to to kind of say like, I'm not sure if if it's Dave Baker, you, the person writing this, or if it's a fictional Dave Baker, or if it's it's this other fictional Dave Baker, or how do all these layers stack on top of each other? Uh, it's a really fascinating way to start a comic. And uh, it made me very excited to continue reading. I can't wait to get my actual physical copy because this book that you've you showed us is beautiful. It's huge. It's it's heavy. It's hefty. I love that. Um, so I guess like my my first thought is, and Paul, I promise I'm going to let you get to say something, but I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm very excited. Um, so this book is very different than I think some of your other works, which are just have been straight up comics. Some of them have essays like we talked about, like you've written some essays in the back of the comics, which is pretty standard practice when it comes to a lot of single issue books. There'll be some back matter that's that's very fun to read. Um, but this book is a mix, right? You said it's, it's essays, it's comics, it's a lot of um, footnotes, it's a lot of things that I think makes this book super dense, but very fascinating because there's clearly a world within a world and universes within dimensions that are all piled on top of each other to make this book happen. How did the creative process for this book, I guess, differ for all of your other comics? You know, like Everyone is Tulip, Night Hunters, Halloween Boy, all the other stuff that you've been working on. Uh, well, Mike, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> okay. Uh... okay. Which is also like a weird thing to say when it's like an elective procedure. Like you've sure. chosen to do this to yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but I, but I think you know, I wanted to make, um, I wanted to make something that was uh, literary. You know, like there's all there's a lot of talk about kind of the limitless potential of the medium. Um, there's a lot of talk about kind of uh, how comics can be anything and how exciting that potential is, and I agree with that. And I wanted to try and do something that was fundamentally experimental. Like, obviously, in everything I've done, there's been little things here and there where I've been trying to experiment with the narrative mechanic or push some character thing or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to kind of um, make something that was, frankly, literary. You know, I wanted to see, Mm -hmm. could could I do it? I don't even know. I I literally didn't even know if I could. Mm -hmm. Um, But I read... Uh, you know, I, I got obsessed with uh, two authors specifically, uh, Mark Z. Danielewski of House of Leaves and uh, Fifty Year Sword, and um, a bunch of other novels that are very good. Um, and uh, David Foster Wallace, the the author of Infinite Jest, uh, Broom of the System, Pale King, and his essays specifically is what kind of broke it down for me because he uses footnotes in his essays. Uh, specifically two essays, uh, one called uh, A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again, and another one called um, uh, Consider the Lobster, where he is using footnotes to fracture the picture plane of the page of prose that you're reading that when I was reading it, I was like, oh, I understand why he's doing it. He doesn't like comics. He doesn't give a shit about comics. But the way that the space between the main narrative of prose and a footnote, it functions almost like a gutter in a comic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I can, I think I can manipulate this to make that kind of similarity or common shared mechanical DNA evolve even further. And that's when I kind of had this idea of like, Oh, it'd be really cool to make a comic 
that had footnotes, which would get you into the rhythm of reading footnotes that would be kind of harkening back to like 60s Silver Age Marvel style footnotes of like, if yeah. you want to read more, find out in issue 71. <laughs> but also then transpose that footnote mechanic into a prose section where you would be able to delve into the world or do I didn't, at first I didn't even really know what it was going to be I just had the idea of like oh it'd be cool to share that push and pull a little bit mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then I spent fucking five years uh, doing it and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was oh, fucking oh, stupid man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean the result is is a is a very interesting looking book. I mean <laughs> and again I haven't read the whole thing. I've skimmed through where I think I start to see things break down in a very interesting way. Um, some of the pages I just was scrolling through on the PDF that you sent over, uh, and I was like, "Whoa, what the fuck's that? How do I get here?" Oh, and I just I told myself to stop reading it, you know, yeah. um, just because I I was curious to see how the like back and forth would continue through the story. Um, and it seems like it goes a little a little off the yes, wall, so I'm very excited does. to see where it goes. It evolves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it yeah. evolves. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I don't you. So you've name checked, you know, Infinite Jests, and I think the the similarity between the names of the author and the character that you do is similar to city of glass the paul oster book so you know you've got the literary illusions i'm picking them up i know that stuff um i'm curious you you mentioned being a film fan as well are there any films or any other books that you think maybe inspired this type of meta narrative you know approach no fucking with that so yeah Yeah, there's a a giant list you got all day like (laughs) let's do this boy come on But I think the main one, I think the main one, uh, so on the back, I know you guys don't have the covers in the PDF that you have, mm-hmm. but the back is a quote from Earl Mac Roush, the creator of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I spent like two years tracking this dude down and he did not disappoint. He's just as unconventional, <laughs> strange, weird, and beautiful as you would want the guy who made Buckaroo Banzai to be. Um, but Buckaroo <laughs> Banzai is a, a, a foundational influence to me. I love, I love it so much. Um, and specifically, the relationship between Buckaroo Banzai the movie or Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, the adventures of Buckaroo mm-hmm. Banzai across the eighth dimension, <laughs> the movie, yes. and the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, the novelization was what really started to get me excited because the, if anybody doesn't know, the joke of the movie Buckaroo Banzai is it's a, it's a sequel to a franchise that doesn't exist. So it, the movie mm-hmm. like starts like five times where like you meet Buckaroo Banzai and it's his character introduction and he's doing brain surgery because he's a brain surgeon. And then you meet Buckaroo Banzai again and he's now driving a car that can go to alternate dimensions because it goes so fast. And then you meet Buckaroo Banzai again and now he's in a band and he's a rock and roll star. <laughs> And like, you know, it's supposed to be harking back to the like Doc Savage or, you know, Phantom style serials where because of the nature of a serialized narrative, you have to introduce the audience to a character multiple times. You know, every the beginning of every story, you got to give them in the intro to, you know, have a little synecdoche for who they are. Right. Uh, So the audience can can come in cold, Um, which is now what we're seeing all these Marvel movies where. Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work, uh, which is a very interesting thing of like Buckaroo Banzai was like 40 years ahead of the curve in that. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But the novel, the Buckaroo Banzai <laughs> novel or novelization is in universe. Like it's it's you're following uh, a character named Reno as he uh, basically follows Buckaroo Banzai around through the 
events of the movie, but he's adding context and he's telling you all of the things that the movie just leaves out, which to me is so funny. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the stuff in the book is like, they're like either direct references to like Mary Tyler Mark being direct references to Buckaroo Banzai or they're like structural references of like, Oh, in this chapter, Mac wrote the adaptation like this. I'm going to kind of, mimic that thing here um mm-hmm. and uh i mean case case in point like the chapter the first chapter is titled find the jet car said the president which is the title <laughs> to the unused initial screenplay that buckaroo Banzai uh, came from <laughs> and his name was buckaroo bandy before it was buckaroo okay. Banzai. oh okay <laughs> Yeah, I I, like, I didn't know we were gonna get Star Trek lore and Buckaroo Banzai yeah, lore yeah. in one episode. This, this is, is this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, but there's a there's a bunch of stuff like that in the book from various things. Like there's yeah. um th- there's a big theme in the book too of kind of like unfinished projects or abandoned projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the chapter to the the title to chapter two of the comics section, which I think is chapter four in the book is uh crystal hell which is the title to the unused dr mordred movie which if anybody doesn't know there's a bootleg dr strange movie called dr mordred starring jeffrey combs and they were going to make a sequel <laughs> called dr mordred colon crystal hell and okay. uh, which i have no there's no information on it like i there's like a i think like an outline and that's it um and i yeah charles band the guy who ran full moon pictures and empire pictures is a huge marvel fan so there's all of these like weird marvel things that are associated with his movies um mm-hmm. all, a lot of his characters exist in the same worlds there's like crossovers where doll man shows there's you know there's like a doll man versus demonic toys movie or whatever um <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I i like that i like the mixture of it's very literary and we're all using fucking mm-hmm. 90 syllable words and also like albert pune just trying to make a movie over a weekend using money that he was given to do reshoots for cyborg two where it's like we'll do the <laughs> reshoots for cyborg two in like a day and then the, we'll keep the, the crew the camera and the crew over the weekend and we'll use this extra ten thousand dollars to make an entire feature film like <laughs> it, there's just a mania that is associated with that that i really really love yeah well that that kind of leads to my another question i had was uh, do you have a process for naming characters? Because there's a couple points in the book where you have like the big splash page with all the characters and you give a rundown of their name and their summary. And they're so clever and funny and there's references. I mean, you must spend a lot of time trying to like tease all this stuff out. It feels like it just kind of like a, their throwaway gag, but it obviously has a lot of thought put into it, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, in both sections, honestly, like there's, you know, in the, in the comic stuff, a lot of those characters have now, Frankly, most of those characters were just a character design that I drew because I like doing big double page splashes of a bunch of characters. <laughs> and then they were so fun to draw. I was like, I should just do this again. And so then it became a, like a mechanic of every title page is going to have 500 characters on it. Um, and then I was like, you know, this is this is the problem with me and the way my brain works is it's always, oh, wouldn't it be funny? Oh, wouldn't it be funny? So it starts as like, oh, wouldn't it be funny to do one of these? Oh, wouldn't it be funny if everyone did this? Oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was little like G.I. Joe file cards or like footnotes that gave <laughs> explanations to everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, so then you, now, now that those characters have a name, they have a backstory and a cool character design, of course I'm going to put them in something, right? Like I have to. Like yeah. it's... So, you know, a bunch of them, like Halloween Boy comes from there, you know, more or less. Yeah. Like he was 
kind of tooling around, but he he i've done five issues of him now uh dree blazenby who's one of the recurring characters in those title pages uh he's also in halloween boy and in um other other books which i won't say but yeah he's he's around <laughs> like there's all of this these characters that have like kind of come directly from my ridiculous penchant for like and now i'm going to think about this way too hard <laughs> <laughs> Well, it just sounds like a lot of your bits suddenly become not bits anymore and become like real things oh, that real, yeah. aren't necessarily 100%. serious, but they're just like fully, like, I accidentally fully fleshed out this entire universe. Whoops. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how, I mean, even the title, the title was a joke originally. Mary yeah. Tyler Moorhawk is a pun on Mary Tyler Moore. But yeah, yeah. frankly, I for, it's, I've worked on this thing for so long. I forget that it's a joke. So when people are like, so Mary Tyler Moore, I'm always like, oh yeah, it is a joke. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On a long enough timeline, you just all humor gets ruined, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was. I at first wasn't sure if you were going for like a specific thing. I was like, how is this going to tie into Mary Tyler Moore? Is this going to be like whole thing? But I like that it's just like it doesn't, and it's it's mm -hmm. just a thing. You're just owning it. I, plus, it also makes like the perfect abbreviation. Like MTMH is just like a cool thing to read for some reason in my head because I feel like if it was. If it was just like MTH, it wouldn't be as fun. But having four syllables for a four like syllable name, I don't know. Something about that yeah. just like clicks in a weird way in my head that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so I'm I'm curious, like, so you, you said this kind of starts off as like a bit, then or it starts off as like kind of a joke and then it becomes a real thing. Like how deep down this rabbit hole did you go with just like you kind of ex you kind of already said this about like you've created all these characters as kind of jokes and now they fleshed out. Like where where does it stop? I guess like when do you right. finally stop and say I'm going to put a story behind all of these kind of jokes yeah you know I don't know I think I, I I don't have a perfect answer for that because at a certain point it's like you just don't the book gets taken away from you you know what I mean like okay you just it's to me that's there's always stuff to build on there's always the next thing to like oh wouldn't it be funny if like I mm -hmm. frankly I can't read the book I've read it so many times for proofreading and all that stuff I can't I can't look at it, but I will say like a couple days ago, I was just like looking at the book because it's printed so nicely and I got mm -hmm. sucked into one of the pages in the middle of the book where the journalist Dave Baker is trying to find out where the, re the recluse old cartoonist Dave Baker is and he mm -hmm. meets a guy named G.R.R. Liebes and Liebes' whole shtick is that he's like a guy who's only influence is the work of old man dave baker so all of his ideas are just kind of like weirdly filtered down dumbed down versions of somebody else and that whole chapter is about trying to find your artistic voice and trying to evolve as an artist past your influences and you know uh develop a a, a worldview that is unique to you that that stands apart but is informed by your you know artistic predecessors right mm -hmm. and there's a whole section where I don't remember writing this at all, but I wrote out like all of these fake like autobiography or fake biographies that G.R.R. Leavis had written about other artists that he was obsessed with and how none uh -huh. of them compared to the like I think he wrote like the name of the book he wrote is like The Cult of One colon Dave Baker and uh mary tyler moorhawk the story that changed a generation and no one remembers or some, something along those lines sure. and it's like this really stupid like self-involved like academic look at these works uh which is it's just so funny to me like 
I guess that's the thing too, is, you know, you're asking like, how do you build a narrative around it? It's, it, it always starts with that. Wouldn't it be funny if, and uh-huh. for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it works though. Like I feel like yeah. it, from, from what I've read of this book, like it works really well. in just like having all of these little bits, like clearly I could, I could see in, in the, the stuff that I read is just like, you're just coming up with lists of stuff and just saying like, yeah, this person did this, or there's a whole section, I think in that first chapter of like secret organizations are really hard to, you know, keep together because there's all these people (laughs) that want to constantly splinter and change the, and I'm like this, I'm sitting at my house reading this and I'm just laughing my ass off because (laughs) this is a funny footnote that has nothing to do with the rest of the book. And it turns out that this book in general, Mary Tyler Moorhawk is just littered with all of these kind of like asides and bits and pieces. And it sounds to me like you've clearly put a lot of work into them, but a lot of them are also jokes. And I love that that mix in there (laughs) fleshes out the universe, but also can get me to belly laugh about like the absurdity of the moment. Um, So I don't know, it works, I guess is what I'm saying. It works for me. (laughs) I like it. Thank you. Yeah, I, that's the for better or for worse. That's the stuff that I really like. You know, like mm-hmm. when I'm either when I'm reading stuff stuff like, you know, I love the density of somebody like Pynchon or the like weird kind of banged out nature of Philip K. Dick, where like sometimes he's amazing and sometimes you can tell he's high. Like you're just <laughs> reading a book that this person wrote fully stoned, mm-hmm. um, and and I like the I like that you when you're either comics or prose, I don't think it's exclusive, but when you get a, a view into the inner life of the person that is making the thing and that, you know, the, the work becomes a reflection of who they are, um, is really fascinating to me. And, you know, this book specifically is, like I said earlier, you know, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. And maybe that's because it's in some contexts, the most personal, I don't know. Okay. I don't necessarily fully agree with that because, I've put myself in a lot of the other books I've made, but mm-hmm. I think that there's uh, the fact that I'm not collaborating with anybody. There's no one to say, hey, we probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> so it's just like me stacking ideas. Like there's an imp- there's an improv comedy uh, idea that you shouldn't have a hat on a hat, meaning you right. shouldn't like make a joke and then have a- another joke or another idea on top of that joke. You should let it exist. You know, you don't wear two hats. You only wear one. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty apparent that my desired aesthetic is, oh, no, it's not funny to have a hat on a hat. It's only funny to have nine hats. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, was, I have a bit about uh, – the Dave Bakerness of this book, but I, I'll leave, I'll jump over to Paul before we yeah. I open up. A, I think what it will be a can of worms. So, okay. <laughs> um, this is maybe a minor question, but it stood out to me when I was looking at it. And I can't wait to get the physical book. I have to say, like, I'm trying to read the PDF and just not working. I need to get the actual book uh, to really appreciate yeah. it. I think. Um, but a lot of your work, you do use this monochromatic color scale. Like the whole book is most of the comic sections are this pink. Is there a reason you chose that particular shade of pink? Because it's very striking. It's not like the most pink, but it's very pink, you know, and it's not yeah. subtly pink. Very pink. You know, it's like the right shade of pink. <laughs> yeah, it's very pink. Um, so one of the reasons why this project was so hard is because I I basically had to reteach myself how to do everything. So this this project is me kind of in some ways experiencing a, a spiritual heat death and then a rebirth in terms of I spent three years working on another graphic novel. It came out, it did fine. It was fun. I liked it, but it didn't really connect with readers in the way that I was hoping it would. And also it, it fucked up my hand. Um, Cause I inked a lot of it with a specific type of pen that I shouldn't have been inking with because I liked the line, but I knew that it was not 
that I was having to press harder and it really messed up my hand. Hmm. And so because of that, I was like, okay, going into this new project, there's going to be a couple design remits that I know I need to do. I need to get faster. I can't spend three years on a book. And then I spent five. <laughs> uh, I, need, I need to figure out a way of making comics that doesn't involve inking because it's messing up my body. I want to digitally color, but I don't want to full color a book because that'll, that defeats the purpose of trying to move faster. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not even going to say I invented this. It, I, other people have done it before, but for me, I had to figure out trial and error, how to invent a workflow that would basically function as me drawing my construction lines in red architectural pencil, my finished lines in a mechanical pencil, pulling it into Photoshop, taking out the red so that it has a finished pencil look, upping the contrast so it's a little bit crispier, so it looks finished, and then pulling it into a Procreate and coloring it digitally. And I knew that I wanted to do that with a single tone for A, ex expediency, time, but also because I just really like that aesthetic of a single drop color. Um, mm -hmm. And the pink, uh, I like pink. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. I mean, Fuck Off Squad yeah. is pink. This book is pink. It's it's your aesthetic. Yeah. I like it. This is my backpack. Oh, pink backpack. <laughs> yeah. Like I I just like I just like the color pink. Um sure. and and I think that, you know, there was that that kind of rebirth or re retooling of things multiple points in the book. All the colors, maybe not all, I would say seventy percent of the colors I actually did with my left hand, because my right hand was so messed up after having drawn everything. Yeah. that I had to do it with my left hand, which I am not left-handed, my friends. I, I was going to ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am not left-handed. Wow. But I can I can do stuff with my left hand enough that I could get it like 70% of the way there, 80% of the way there, and then finish it with my right. Or at, by the after I kind of did enough of it, I didn't even have to finish it with my right. I could just do it all with my left. Um, gotcha. And then I also taught myself, retaught myself how to letter, in procreate as opposed to in illustrator which also took a fucking ton of time Interesting. um so there was multiple like i know where i want to go but i don't have a clear path which is i think the reason why there was such a circuitous winding way to get there there was a lot of there was a lot of kind of hmm how do i do this and then pacing <laughs> around my apartment for like a week <laughs> Man, that's wild! You did all yeah. the lettering in Procreate. Sorry, I just yeah. I, I've played around with Procreate quite a bit because I, I that's how I like do all of the quote unquote graphics for the show. Basically, like organizing mm. things. It's my Photoshop light, but like I can't imagine doing lettering because there's not like a like the vectorization that you use in like InDesign allows for a lot of like really easy like pieces and stuff to put together. I guess like I'm curious, did you just was it just drawing all the bubbles by hand, or was there some other mechanic that you used for that? Yeah, basically the the work process is. Um, at the time I did it, it's different now because it's been updated. But at the time, there wasn't a way to keep font the same size. So what I would do is I would go in, make a layer of a, a custom-made font, mm -hmm. and then write one of the word balloons with that font at, you know, whatever, 8, 9, 11, 12, you know, whatever the mm -hmm. font size was. And then I would just duplicate the layer, move that exact, the, you know, the duplicate text to a different <laughs> yeah. area, rewrite the text of the balloon and then clone it again and so you basically kind of like you're it's a weird kind of circuitous ass backwards way of like you write one word balloon and then you clone it a bunch of times change mm -hmm. the actual text 
then go in, draw the word balloons, then go in and put white behind the word balloons, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I totally follow it. That's just, that's a lot of work, man. That's it is a lot of work. work. <laughs> it is. That's, that's it is crazy. a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that people don't ever really process. Like, I'm glad that we're talking about this now because <laughs> there's so many things like that where it's just like, well, what do you mean? Don't you just put the words on the thing? Yeah. You just like yeah. drop them in? And it's right. like, yeah. This is just, it's harder than that, man. Like, it just is. The next comic that I make, of zero comics that I made, just going to be made in presentation or in PowerPoint uh, as a presentation thing. So I could just drag and drop everything. It'll be nice and easy, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Just drag in some clip art. Don't worry. Um, It's going to be a really great uh, fan Star Wars comic or Star Trek comic or something. Um, I'll find a way. Did did you ever read that comic that, um, oh, what's his name? He used to write for SB Nation. He did, a. I think it's called like Oh, John Boyce? Four thousand years of yearning, or four thousand years? Is the is know. it the eighteen seventy seventy two thing where it's about football and it's just like a forever <laughs> comic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or yeah, it's like it's supposed to be like football in the future, but it's played across the entirety of the United States because like <laughs> these super robots have the ability to throw and kick just like at unbelievable distances. Yeah, I don't. I I read that before. I read I think most of it, but uh, it's because it because he did two. It was right. Oh, he did that okay. one. And then he did one about uh, where you're reading calendars and there's text put on calendars. Do you remember this? I did not read that one. That's awesome. The one I'm thinking of is I think think it's like a date. I don't remember the title, but it's like 40,000 BC or something like that. And the whole comic is done in calendars where you'll be reading a calendar and then there'll be little notes on the calendar that say like, I'm so alone or where are you or are you there? And then as you hmm. scroll through the calendar dates, there starts to be a conversation and the, you're, you're watching these two people seemingly fall in love. And then all of a sudden, one of them start starts replying less and the protagonist voice box or whatever is like lonely and trying to rekindle that connection and it's not working. And then there's like a scroll of like 400 years in the calendars where nothing is happening except for one of the voices being like, why aren't you, why aren't you replying to me? What's going on? Yeah. And the end of it after this, you know, it's probably like a five, 10 minute reading experience, but at the end of it, after scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, you realize that the voice that's asking, why aren't you there is a satellite. It's like the Voyager satellite that is in orbit and it's like it's like so far up out we can't connect with it anymore yeah it's uh i just found it it's called 220 like 20020 which is a sequel to 17776 which is about american football (laughs) Uh, but yeah they're all take place like very very far in the future because the idea is like it's robots and satellites and all this other crazy shit um yes i've read i read Hmm. 17776 yeah, um, but I didn't I, know that this there was a sequel that he put out because that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's really really cool. What's that guy's name? John Boyce. John Moise. John Boyce. He's B O I S. He's done a ton of stuff yeah. for SB Nation, like around football. He did like a eight part series or seven part series all about the Seattle Mariners, and I didn't think that I could care about the Seattle Mariners. And he <laughs> did an entire docu series that I was yeah. just enamored with. He talks about like the history of the the organization, how they've never won a world championship, and how like they've come so close <laughs> over their entire history. Oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic series. Um, yeah, he also, I really, did a, he also did a series about mixed martial arts and the rise of mm-hmm. UFC. Did you watch that one? 
I I haven't I haven't seen everything. I I feel like yeah. every time I hear about new shit that this guy's done, I'm like, all right, there goes nine hours of my life. That's just what's gonna happen. <laughs> I I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about mixed martial arts. That's not true. I like I like the idea of martial mixed martial arts, but the actual like UFC dudes breaking each other's legs makes me really sad. I'm like, this is not <laughs> worth it. This is yeah. this is depressing. I don't. This is not fun for me. Um, but he did one all about the history of UFC and mixed martial arts and like the idea of a kumite and like it's fascinating. Interesting. Well, you sold me. Oh. I just found a supercut of that entire thing on YouTube, so that's you um, that yeah. one's that one's really good. His uh, his series that he did about all of the bobs of professional sports is really fun. About the disappearance of the name Bob in professional sports is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Everything that John Boyce touches is is fascinating. He's got such a unique sense of humor that works to be a combination of like very informative but also very dry and super funny at the same time like i totally yeah, love his I style agree. um but yeah our, i guess the reason we brought this up did he make <laughs> 17776 in powerpoint is that what we're saying yeah yeah i How think he that? did yeah. yeah i think he did it in like you know some it's, they're just calendar pages like i think uh, yeah, he literally yeah, yeah. Like opened a calendar app and like wrote in it in in powerpoint or something silly like that yeah no, that's uh, that's awesome. That's but again, this is like the medium of comics can literally be anything, and I think this is proof because that book or that those stories read like comics, and because it's all images with with text, it's not like prose, yeah. which is which is very interesting. Um, I guess I've got like two questions maybe that we can use to wrap things up. Paul, do you have anything you want to ask Dave before I ask him? Maybe my biggest question in in my entire doc. I got to hear the big question, Mike. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So, um, I. First off, really curious, did all the photos in this book, um, were those things that you did and like edited yourselves and or yourself and stuff? Or is it stuff you found or got from other people? So um, I can't believe we made it this long in. This is my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike and David. Uh, I, <laughs> I, my, my friends, Mike Lopez and David Catalano were instrumental in this project. Mike Lopez gotcha. did all the graphic design. And David Catalano is an amazing photographer and a musician from New York. And I had met him at a convention years ago and we'd stayed in touch. We have a lot of common interests and a lot of the aesthetic and even just the ideas for where things could go come from his photographs where I, he does these really haunting, ethereal, just like mournful photography of houses. And initially mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it'd be cool if we did a project together. I'll use some of your photos and I'll write stories about the people who live in these houses. And then we ended That's up cool. not doing yeah, we ended up not doing that. We ended up doing something else. And it was this mm -hmm. where, you know, I think we were going to originally just do that as a zine, a zine, excuse me. Uh, and then because I'm incapable of doing anything that doesn't spiral into being a giant magnum opus, <laughs> it, it became this. And he mm -hmm. was like, this is so much more complicated than I thought you were going to do with my photos. And I was like, yeah, I know. But I it just, you know, and, and, you know, he's an amazing photographer and he contributed so much with his photography. Like the book would not be what it is with, without his photographs. Um, gotcha. but even more so, or not even more so, but also, um, Mike Lopez is like, I, I just think the world of him, he's a, he's an amazing graphic designer. Um, and he put up with me giving him like a 90,000 word Google doc and being like, make it pretty please <laughs> like he was like a little overwhelmed at first i think he was like what yeah. wait what we just normally make <laughs> comics together i usually just lay out your comics files what the fuck is this and i was like i know okay so it's gonna be a comic but it's also gonna be a novel there's sections where we're gonna have to like you know fuck with the form like this is and then i i basically wrote him like an outline 
of the book that I had already written where it was like mm-hmm. the book was done, but okay. So we're going to do a title page that's this, and then we're going to have a title page that has the Tibetan definition for Tulpa on it. And then we're going to go into the comics and then we're going to go here and it's going to have this, you know, aesthetic of like a mix of a weird hardcore zine from the eighties and also like a Japanese tokusatsu magazine or like a street, uh, street fashion magazine. And also I want it to be kind of like, strange and like high high fashion you know look uh or or like a record you know and Mm -hmm. um he took all of those ideas and really kind of mushed them together and constructed the framework that all of my ideas lived in you know interesting well that's i mean that's awesome I, i i love to hear that kind of collaboration come together for a book like this because like you said you didn't you didn't collaborate with people in in quotes here in the same way that you've done with other books right but you did have like collaborators to make this book happen because folks as we've said a million times most comics are not just one person right um even people that are publishing books like by themselves like still have folks that are helping them and all that stuff so yeah um, that's awesome to hear um i think the last question my big burning question is who exactly is Dave Baker? Who the hell are you? What's going on here? Is this has this all been a ploy? We've we've mm-hmm. known each other off and on for almost a decade or something like that. Like, what's going on here, man? What's happening? <laughs> I think uh, I think the the most accurate answer to that question is in the book. Um, yeah, I think there's also I think there's also a component of this where when I first sold the book, I was like, oh, it'd be really fun to do all of the all of the press tour stuff and all the interviews in kayfabe and like pretend that I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and then it just showed up on my doorstep, which it did. It totally just showed up on my, on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. I've been lying this whole time. Kayfabing <laughs> that I spent five years making it. I didn't. It showed up on my doorstep from the future. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think that's that's one of the reasons why it's a little difficult for me sometimes to figure out exactly how to talk about it because sure. the the book is really dense and it is a lot of me like a, a mm-hmm. lot of my interests a lot of my grievances um, and also the book is kind of about the cycle that a lot of creative people get into where they become lost in a maze of their own making and I a hundred percent got lost in a maze of my own making while making this book. Like <laughs> I, I think it's you, there's a, there's periods of it where you can just tell that I'm losing my mind being like, this is never going to be finished. It's never going to be published. I just wasted all this time and effort. Like what the fuck am I doing with my life? Sure. And I, I personally like buck against the idea that you need to suffer for your art. I don't think mm-hmm. that's healthy. I think it's toxic. Um, but I think that there is a tendency in the artistic inclination to have a penchant for a personality that does suffer for art sometimes <laughs> and uh this one i did this one i sure, fucking sure. suffered for yeah yeah um, but i feel like it wasn't intentional going in right i think maybe you went yeah. in with lofty goals and unfortunately you suffered for it but uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I appreciate the answer on that. I mean, obviously, weird answer to, to round things out. on. But I, I like that. I like that. I was I was also very worried that we were going to come into this and you're just going to be 
a totally different personality. So I was prepped <laughs> in my mind to just throw all the questions out the door and then see how yeah. far we could go with this Tim and Eric, you know, bit. Um, so yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, well, Dave, this this is fantastic. I'm very excited to, to read this book in its like physical form when I get it in my hands. I'm really excited to look at those pages and be in awe of the combination of everything that you put together for this book. And I think all the folks out at home should go check this book out. Make sure that you've talked to your local comic shop or wherever you get your comics to get your copy um, because I think this book reads great digitally. Paul and I got to look at it digitally, but I think it's mm -hmm. going to look even better in person. Um, it's one of those rare times where I'm like, I got to get the physical of this. Yeah. Um, you showing it off here on, on the call is is incredible. So um, Dave, <laughs> thank you so much for reaching out to us and making this happen, man. I'm so, so hyped for this book. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Paul, Mike. Lovely to lovely to see you both. Hopefully of I'll course. see you in Chicago. Always. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. I guess for folks at home who want to reach out, maybe check out other things that you're working on, where can they find you on the internet um, if they want to talk about this book or the other stuff you've got coming out? Um, where can they find you? Yeah. Uh, I feel like we said it before, but I'll say it one last time. February 13, Mary Tyler Moorhawk is coming out in bookstores. Or maybe it's February 14. I think it book market is 13. Comic book mm -hmm. store market is 14 for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. Know. So basically, 13th or 14th in February is when it <laughs> uh, comes out. Uh, if you want to find me online, you can do so on the socials at xdavebakerx. Uh, you should also follow uh, the I, I Read Comic Books uh, TikTok account. It's very fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Whenever whenever Thanks. these homies pop up in my in my feed, I watch them and I go, I know those guys in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And then um, if you want to buy my books uh, from me, get a little signature, you can do so at uh, my website, heydavebaker.com, Halloween Boy, uh, all my other books, they're, they're all there. Awesome. Awesome. I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes uh, so folks can go follow you. I mean, you're very active on TikTok. I always appreciate seeing you comment coming up and talking about your books and talking about the creative process and all that stuff that you, <laughs> you've made. Um, it's it's crazy. I feel like for a while there, it was just like every other week there was like, hey, I made this new book. Here's this other book that I'm working on. Here's me drawing <laughs> this character. You know, I, I love to see that stuff. So um, it's very active over there on uh, on TikTok at least. So um, cool. Well, to thank, I guess to wrap everything up here, um, as always, you can follow us on the internet. We've got all the different things. We've got a Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast you can subscribe to our youtube we've got a tiktok we've got our discord we've got our goodreads the goodreads reading challenge just started there's like 16 or 17 amazing books that we've got on that list that we really want people to read i've read two so far i'm gonna complete our challenge this year i've determined it um i've got till december <laughs> i can't understand why i wouldn't be able to do that you should too um next week's show is gonna be me and kara talking with another special guest our good pal pat loika photographer extraordinaire has put out a bunch of books and or a bunch of photos online and a, one or two art books of all the cosplay photos that he's done he's an amazing photographer um infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all of our music we can't thank them enough xander lives in the space between footnotes always ready to provide you with a little fun fact about the world around you i want to say thank you to brian for proof listening thank you to everyone listening live on discord thank you for checking out the show and listening this far you're a fantastic human being if you listen all the way to the end of the credits until next time comics are good and so are you